Hey, good morning. Welcome home. So glad you're here. Children may go upstairs. It's children's church time. Oh, try to, try to cap your excitement. You know, all the noise. and the... All right. So happy for you. Good morning. Okay. Glad to have everybody here. It's week eight of the gospel experiment. Hey, we're one week, one month away from Easter. Can you believe that? I'm pretty jazzed up about that. Got to start looking for my shirt. We have a lot of awesome stuff planned for Easter. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later. Later, though. Um, Mark chapter 16 is where you want to be. Mark chapter 16. If you have a Bible with you or program on your phone, you want to log that in, turn to it. If you don't have a Bible, look under the seats in front of you. There's probably one there. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you. It's yours. Free to keep. Now, Mark chapter 16, just hold your place because we have something to do before we get there. Here's what it is. Um, you may have seen on TV that ABC has this new limited series uh, called What Would You Do? Have, have you seen it? What Would You Do? Hosted by John Quinones. That was more information than you needed, but I've always wanted to say Quinones in church. So now I have. Kind of getting that bucket list checked off. Um, but the show, the series, is a look at ethics, at morals, at human behavior. And it's generally to see if bystanders will intervene if they witness some abuse, some injustice, something wrong, something that should not be. Will they stand idly by or will they intervene? And they take different types of topics each, each week. And it's, you know, it's what would you do? And so I thought we'd play a, virgin, a version that's a different message, um, of what would you do here? And we'd use news items to do it. So uh, here we go. Try to write yourselves into these stories. The first is, what would you do about the tsunami in Japan? Now, we've all seen photos. We've all seen video of this. And, and here are two pictures. On, on the left is the very beginning of the tsunami as this 20-foot wall of water and mud crashes through the village, um, and it, it, it swept away the entire town of Kamaishi, and it, it took um, what the death toll is now between 10 and 11,000, and there's still about 16,000 people who are missing. Devastating. Horrible. Uh, bottom right, that's the aftermath. That's what is left after, after this swings through. And as we watched this in the days that it happened, in the following days, and we prayed for those poor people, our hearts went out to them. I'd like you to imagine if you were a leading geologist, seismologist. Now, somebody, okay, if you're failing science, it's a real stretch of your imagination, but go with me. Okay, um, you're a leading geologist, seismologist, who has come up with a way about a week before a major catastrophic event in the Earth's lithosphere, the crust, the movement, you can accurately predict a 9.0 earthquake and, and a resulting tsunami. So what would you do? What would you do if that was you? Well, um, 
I, I think I know many of you well enough to know that you would immediately do everything you could. You'd go to the international news. You'd share with them this information. We've got a short amount of time, right? We've got a week, maybe, and, and get that word out to the people of Japan, right? So they could get to a higher place, a safer place, and ride this thing out. So there'd be no loss of life. Uh, there'd be loss of property, but, you know, property we can deal with. Um, and, and if people wouldn't uh, listen to you, right? I, I believe you'd, you'd book a flight to, to Japan and you'd have the Rosetta Stone thing on tape and you'd be Japanese phrases so that when you got there, you could go door to door and, and tell these people, look, this is coming. Follow me. I'm going to show you a place where, you, where you're going to be safe. Where you're going to be safe because if you could do that, you'd save between 10,000 and 11,000 lives. And, and that's great. And unfortunately, um, that technology is not existent with the specificity that, that we have, um, uh, that, that, that we could have, so, so it didn't exactly happen that way. It, it didn't exactly happen. Okay, next story, next story. Um, this is a little bit older. This is last year. Um, and you'll notice these are the Chilean miners um, that were stuck, 33 of them, in a mine for 69 days. That's almost two and a half months. Now, the upper left is, is when they sent a light and a camera down there um, to take pictures of them. Uh, apparently, this was clothing optional day in the mine. Um, and, and the bottom right is, uh, I just got scolded for that. I'm going to hear about that later. Uh, the bottom right is the celebration when they were all rescued. But as I said, it took 69 days in the darkness. And the first of the 33 miners who was rescued said um, he could not begin to recount how awful the experience was. Here's the quote that just rocked my heart. He said, we waited for death in the dark. We waited for death in the dark. And as we saw this happen, our hearts went out to them and we prayed, and, and we watched, and, and, and as, the, as the world watched. And, and I want you to imagine that you are a top mining um, person, right? You, you understand mining to, to a great degree, and you've developed this technology to be able to safely and quickly drill in and create a tunnel safely to where they are in a matter of hours rather than days and weeks and months, right? If you had this what would you do? What would you do? That's the question. Well, knowing you, I believe that you would get that technology, that equipment over there, regardless of the expense, regardless of what it took, so that these families and this celebration takes place without them having to go through um, two and a half months of darkness and anguish and unnecessary suffering, right? If you could. But they use the best technology that we have, and that's how long it took. And so because that doesn't exist, that didn't happen that way. Okay, next story. Um, this is an Amber Alert type story. It's about 10 years old, almost, nine, nine, 10 years old. 
um, the story is. Now, many of you remember it, though, because of the abductions, of the kidnappings that have happened in this country. This one got more publicity than any other in, in decades, in decades. On the left is 14-year-old uh, Elizabeth Smart, who lived in Salt Lake City. Many of you remember? You remember? She was sleeping in her um, bedroom in Salt Lake City, right? And she was abducted from her bed in her bedroom in the middle of the night by this kind, innocent-looking gentleman on the right and his wife, and his wife. Now, she was found because motorists saw her walking through the suburbs with this man and his wife. And now, starting the day after she disappeared, what would you do if you were a friend of Elizabeth or a friend of her parents, her family, a neighbor? What would you do? Well, I believe you do what they did. They prayed and they made posters and they went out and they talked to as many people as they could and they searched high and low every inch of everywhere that they could think of and they prayed some more, right? And, and she was rescued. She was set free from her kidnappers, her captives, but it was nine months, nine, nine months um, of her living a hellish existence um, with these abusive people. Our last story, and this one is not um, tied to a specific news story, but we'll have the illustration here in a second. It's about cancer. It's about cancer. And now the top picture shows uh, an illustration of what cancer does inside in the cells. And the bottom two pictures shows what cancer does to people what cancer does to people. And I, I think you'd agree with me, it is just devastating. It is just awful, devastating. Now, um, just as an illustration, I'd like you to raise your hand and keep your hand up so we can see. Um, if you have had a relative or a friend who has either died of cancer or battled cancer, relative of a friend who has either died from or battled, almost 100%. Okay. Okay, almost 100%. It is, my, I lost my father, father to cancer. He, he was younger than I am. And you say, really? It's been 12. No, but it's, 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 it's amazing how many people have been touched by this horrible disease. Now, I want you to imagine you're a scientist. You discover a cure for cancer. You've been working, you've come up with this compound that will kill cancer cells, but will do no damage to the non-cancerous cells. Now you have this, and, and what do you do? What would you do? Be, well, I, I believe that, that you would try to get this to as many people, as many places, as affordably uh, as possible. Because in doing so, in doing so, you could save a half a million lives in the U.S. alone. I just don't have the figures worldwide. But you can imagine, half million, more than half a million people in the United States alone die from cancer every year. That's like 1,500 a day. But because we don't yet have those um, compounds, that technology, we're moving closer. Praise God. But that hasn't happened. But I believe that if you had it, you'd want to get it out. So, what would you do? 
what would we do in all of these? I, I know m- most of you pretty well. I know you as loving, compassionate, thoughtful, um, externally focused, loving people. So I know that you would do everything that you could. If there was anything you could do, you wouldn't not do anything. you do something to the degree that you had the ability to do it, to do it. Am I right? Am I right? I, I believe I am. Mark 16. Let's go. We're going to pick it up in verse 15, a little background. Jesus has been crucified, died, buried. He's now risen from the grave. He is victorious over Satan's sin, death, the wrath of God, and all that is broken and fractured in the universe. And he's appearing to his disciples to give them the game plan for their lives, the game plan for our lives, the game plan for the rest of this chapter of rescue, this rescue chapter of redemptive history, which will last until Jesus comes back, right? This is it. This is, this is, these are the marching orders. Verse 15, and Jesus, he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Tell the good news. Proclaim means tell. Go out, celebrate, share. Tell the good news. The good news. What is the the good news? The good news, the incredibly good news is that although every person, you, me, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, everybody in between has been separated from God because of our our ignoring him, because of hard hearts, because of our sin, because of our bad choices, because of our willfulness, that we want to live the way we want to live, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, and we fail to recognize and celebrate and love and serve God with our whole hearts and love others. Every one of us is busted. We're separated from God, but here's the good news. That Jesus says, no matter that everybody has been separated from God, I, Jesus, came with skin on, on a rescue mission to come and and take all of their brokenness, all their sin, all their shame, all their guilt, and take it upon myself and into myself, and I dragged it to the cross, and I killed it there as the cross killed me. And I put it to death in their place as their substitute. I took all the pain, all the punishment, all of the power of that sin over their lives for them. Go tell them this, that no matter how separated they are, that no matter how, what they've done, I am offering them a clean slate for their past, their present, their future, for now and forevermore. I'm offering that in myself. All they have to do is come to me sorrowful and broken over their life without me and say, I want life with you. And then I will lead them into forgiveness and freedom and joy both now and forever. And I I will lead them into ever-increasing life rather than ever-increasing death, which you're experiencing without me even though you look like you're alive. 
That's good news. He says, so I want you to make sure they know a few things. I want you to make sure that they know that I love them so much that nothing they've done has disqualified them from a personal saving relationship with me. I want them to know, I want them to know that I have loved them beyond description. I want them to know how to experience all that I've won for them on the cross and in my resurrection and with my spirit now. Experience all of it in all of its depth, in all of its greatness, in all of its joy, in all of its wonder by receiving me. I I want them to know how much I love them. I want them to know that. So those of you who know me already, go out and introduce your friends and and the people you love and the whole world, which, by the way, includes Gunnison and Western, although sometimes we feel so remote we're not really sure. How many times have you gotten a map and you can't find us? Maybe we don't exist, you know, (laughs) but we do. All the world. That's us. That's the people we know and love. That's our town. That's our college. Go and tell how much he loves people. It's beautiful. It, and it's urgent. And it's urgent. Here's why. We get these words from Jesus. And I'm asking you to write yourself into this story. Just as we wrote ourselves into the news stories. Because you know the tsunami is coming. I mean, Jesus said, says that much, right? Condemnation, which he doesn't want anybody to experience. You know the tsunami is coming. You know people are waiting for death in the dark and you have the technology to get them out. You know who has kidnapped your friend, your sister, your brother, your, 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 your neighbors, your coworkers. You know. And you know how they can be set free. And you have the cure for terminal cancer of the soul. So we already agreed that if we had these things, we would do everything. We would do anything to to get it out because our hearts go out to these people. So what would you do? What will you do about the good news? And, and God's command is to say, I'm going out. Go with me. Go with me. It's too good to keep to yourself. Our purpose statement, that's what we're all about here at Bethany. If you've been here for some time, you've seen it before, you've said it before, so I'll ask you to sit up with me once again, clear your throats, and say it like you mean it, to be a growing, relevant family of missionaries who desire that see Gunnison and Western know Jesus Christ. I flipped them, but it's the same, you know. Oh, come on. We desire to see Western and Gunnison what? Know Jesus Christ. That's what we're about. We don't, have a, we don't have a political agenda. We're not trying to win an argument. We're not trying to get you to vote a certain way, dress a certain way, cut your hair a certain way. You know, get, don't get neck tattoos. I mean, that's not our message. That's not the church's message. It's that the people would know Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? How, what a beautiful picture when this is accomplished. Can you even picture it? 
The people of Weston, the people of Gunnison, so convinced, so overwhelmed, so experiencing the love of Jesus Christ that families and friendships are being reconciled, marriages are being healed, every child feels loved, no one feels alone. There are rivers of joy and peace and and love and compassion flowing through our streets. The sound of of praise and laughter and joy and encouragement, that's the soundtrack of our valley. You know what I'm saying? That, that people have a family. Even people who have lost their They have this family and, and nobody goes without and, and nobody goes unloved and nobody goes uncared for. Now, I'm not saying that following Jesus Christ is, is like a cakewalk. It's not. But what I am saying is that when this is accomplished, Western and Gunnison will begin to look like the city of God. And our lives and the lives of so many who are now suffering unnecessarily would be so different. It's so beautiful. It's incredible. And and so God wants that. I want that for each one of us and for people for whom that's not even on their radar screen. That's what we're about. That's what we're about. People, the vast majority of people we know and love are unnecessarily living in condemnation and waiting for death in the dark. The vast majority of the people of our community college whom we know and love are in the path of the tsunami, are, are buried underground, are kidnapped and living as captives. Regardless of what things look like on the outside, we're talking about their hearts, their souls. I, I know, I've been there. I've been there. I was rescued. I was set free. I'm still being rescued. I'm still being set free. They're dying of spiritual cancer. And you love God, and you love them. And so what are we to do? What are we to do? Because we can do something about it part of the gospel. How do we do it? I want you to know, take note, I want you to take note that um, Jesus doesn't tell us to tell people how bad their lifestyle is. Okay, get this straight. If you're hanging around with church people who think that Jesus' message, Jesus' call to his people is to go out and convince them that the main message is how bad your lifestyle is. That is not what Jesus is calling us to do. That is not what Jesus is calling us to do. He says, tell them the good news. The good news that nothing they've done has disqualified them from personal relationship with Jesus Christ because he loves them. That's good news. And we need to be living proof. We need to be living proof. Now, I'm not saying we need to be perfect because then none of us would do anything, right? We need to be living proof of this loving God that we talk about. Because if we tell them about um, Jesus and his incredible love for them, and we're not living proof of that, then here's where it goes. Hey, dude, um, so you're telling me that Jesus loves me so much, and you're a follower of his, so why do you always treat me like a jerk? That's what happens. So we need to go out and be living proof as we talk about, as we introduce people to Jesus. So some of us will quote the Thomas Aquinas thing that says, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. That's not the Bible. 
That's not the, you know who likes that? People who don't like to talk about their faith. Yes, love them. Yes, bless them. Yes, serve them. Yes, use words. It's necessary. I only understood the gospel when somebody told it to me. I had to be told like 25 times. But use words. Tell people. Introduce them. Text, Twitter, Facebook, whatever you got. Use words. Use words. So um, here's how we don't do it. Here's how we shouldn't do it. We shouldn't do it as a crushing burden of responsibility. We shouldn't share or introduce people to Jesus as a crushing burden of responsibility. Why? Because it comes off, comes off as pushy, obnoxious, and a little bit freaky, right? It gives me a rash when I'm around people who, who share it in a way a burdensome responsibility, real pushy about it. And it gives a bad name to the people who are trying to do it right. So you don't do it as a burden of responsibility. And you don't do it, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier, as trying to win an argument. Like, are you going to your friends and trying to take a minor point of Scripture? Like, did the whale literally eat Jonah and spit him back up? We could get to that later. That's not our call as a church. It's not to win an argument. Literal six days, figured a six days. Really? Really? The message is Jesus. Meet Jesus. Everything else, everything else flows from that. You get everything else right, you miss that, you got nothing. That's why he said go out, tell the good news. But we get our little pet things, right? We get our little pet things that we want to win an argument. No, it's not winning an argument. It's introducing somebody to a, a person, to a person. Michelle, you're here, so I ask you to stand up. Dear friend, faithful member of this church, graduated and left us. Left us. Yeah, no, she's doing great. We love you. It's so good to have you back. Who doesn't know Michelle? If you don't know Michelle, okay, Jessica, would you stand up? Just stand up. Where are we? I'm not going to embarrass you. You've got to stay standing. Oh, yeah, no, this is, this is a full package. Jessica, you don't know Michelle, do you? Let me tell you about Michelle. My life, my life is richer and fuller, and more blessed because of knowing Michelle. Um, And I'm convinced that anybody who knows Michelle will have the great goodness that's in my life because of this woman. So, Jessica, this is Michelle. Michelle, that's my friend Jessica. Sit down. You're done. So are you. That's it. That's it. That's it. How do we do it? Not as a crushing burden of responsibility. Not as winning an argument. It's not to convince them of some facts. It's to introduce them to Jesus Christ. Right? How do we do it? An overflow of love. An overflow of love. For who? For Jesus, first of all. And then for people who are far from him, right? If we have this overflow of love for Jesus and for those who are far from him, then our burning desire is going to be to to share that, right? And we need a heart transformation. I need a heart transformation for that to happen because if I'm relying on that, I don't have enough of it. 
I need to continually get more. But I will tell you that God has changed me, is changing me, and will change me. Because it's been about five years since I've been here. Um, never been a pastor before. Um, uh, I didn't even get A's in vacation Bible school. Okay? And so I have this awesome opportunity to unpack his word and, and help let him lead his people and use me to do it. And I am at the point very quickly where I know that I'm woefully underqualified. Some of you are saying amen, I know. Um, here's why. It's not simply um, my depth of understanding of his word or my faithfulness in following him or saying that I'm not broken. I am, you know it. It is the fact that I really, here I am in this role, I really don't, I don't care about other people's souls that much. You, you get me? I, I do in concept. I do in concept. And if I love you a lot five years ago, then I'm concerned for your soul, for Jesus um, bringing you from death to life, from, from darkness into light, from captivity into freedom, now and forever. But not to the degree that somebody um, who is in this role needs to. So I, I prayed. I said, Jesus, I need you to give me your heart for you and for people who follow you and for people who are far from you. So um, he started to do it. Not because I'm worthy of that, but because he wants to do that for all of us. If he can change me, he can change anybody. And he's still changing me. And he will continue to transform my heart. You, you getting that? I mean, I used to love to go to the happiest place on earth. And I'm not talking about Disney. I'm talking about City Market, right? Because that's where my buddies, Ben and Jerry, live. And I used to love to go there. Now I love to go there, not just for Ben and Jerry, but because there are people there. And, and this freaky thing is happening as I'm going up and down the aisles and people are stepping up to pull out frozen peas. I'm praying for them. That no matter where they are, that Jesus would break in. That he, and if I get a chance to talk to them, I'm trying to encourage them, I'm trying to invite them, I'm trying to pour that out because now that's what matters. That's all that matters. More than I want to be able to keep my house if the economy tanks and I lose my job. More than I want um, to be secure and be able to retire someday. More than I hope that one day I'll get the chance to walk my beautiful da daughter down the aisle. More than, more than all that, I want, I want people I want people to know Jesus Christ so that they don't suffer, so that they can experience what I have experienced, what I am experiencing, what I will experience. Not going through life that looks like life that is really death. Not so they can be captive anymore. Whether I know them or whether I don't, and praise God, he's using this church for exactly that people for his glory and by his work only. People come here, hear the gospel, respond to it, 
and, and start a relationship with Jesus Christ all the time. Lots of them. Praise God. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens this morning. Is it afternoon yet? No, but it's getting closer. I'm hearing you. I am. Thank God that that happens. Thank God. Jesus can change our hearts to an overflow of love. And our hearts react in different ways. Say, I don't know enough. I don't know enough, Scripture. I don't know enough. Do you know Jesus? Then you know enough. Then you know enough. That's right. Which one of us cannot say, I am broken in ways that I can't even explain. But Jesus loves me anyway. And he's putting me back together. And he's setting me free. That's the gospel. And he can do the same for you. In fact, he wants to. In fact, he loves you more than you've ever loved anything or anybody. He has all this for you. And we're settling for a broken life. You know enough. You know enough. Tell your story and tell his story into their story. That's what sharing your faith is. Not getting freaky deaky in every conversation. You try to find a way, you know. But being aware of what the Spirit is doing, having enough love for Christ and love love for people who are trying to find life without him. That can't be found. Can't be found. It's ever-increasing death without him. And you don't have to close the deal. You don't have to close the deal. Here's the great deal. Here's the great thing. We just need to lead, take the people that we love and care about, that we know, and help them take whatever the next step is closer to Christ. Whatever the next step is. Maybe they never prayed. Maybe they never had somebody pray for them. Maybe they never visited a church. Maybe they think churches are creepy. We try to reduce the creep factor here as much as possible. To attract as many people as possible and be as casual as possible so that the unchanging message can reach a ton of people. You know, I get ragged on for wearing jeans and untucking my shirt. But a 45-year-old guy's got to do whatever he thinks he can do <laughs> to not have you put barriers up to the message that will set you free. I'd wear a tutu if people would listen to Christ's call. Stop it. Stop it. I know what's going on out there. Don't picture that. It'll damage you. I'll do it for you later. That's my wife. You say, you know, this leading people to Jesus stuff, that's for pastors. That's for, you know, ministers, people who are in the ministry. That's for pastors. Okay. I hereby make you the pastor of your family, the pastor of your block, the pastor of your friends, the pastor of your college group, the pastor of your neighborhood. Go. It is for pastors. Go. It's true. It's true. So 
Go and tell. That's what Jesus tells us. And like everything Jesus tells us, it is, whether we can see it or not, for our joy and blessing in him. So we're going to see this in Philemon uh, verse 6. Philemon verse 6 is this. Paul writes, I pray that the sharing of your faith, which is what we're talking about, right? Not being embarrassed of Jesus. Not being worried or... The sharing of your faith may become effective for you to know the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. That in sharing our faith, we somehow get to know fuller what what Christ has done for us. We get to enjoy him more. We get to experiencing him more deeply. If we want to know every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ, then The barrier to that is we may not be sharing our faith. And here he's saying, it's for your good too. It's for your good too. Now, we get this on one level, right? That the sharing of something kind of ramps up its, its, uh, its enjoyment, right? If you go to a a great restaurant, maybe you, um, maybe you go out of town and you go to Denver or something and you go to this incredible restaurant, are you going to come home and keep quiet about it? No, you're going to take your friends and say, oh, and the appetizers and this and that. No, oh, it's so great. You have no idea. Next time, next time I go, I'm dragging you with me so that you can have this experience. You're not ready for it. I promise. It's that good. You know? And maybe, maybe you've been on a trip or a vacation. Maybe you've gone somewhere. Anybody, you know, you've gone on a cruise. You've, you've been blessed to go on a vacation. You come home. Part of the enjoyment, is it not? is telling people every cool thing that happened while you were there. That's part of the enjoyment of the entire experience. I've had people at my work that go on these vacations. They come back, they tell stories, they show pictures. Last year, I sat through a PowerPoint presentation. I kid you not. Pam knows. She, she knows. She sat through it too, I think. Part of the enjoyment of a thing is not keeping it a secret. I would venture to say most everything that we've done or been proud of. Our son got all North Region for football in senior year. Everybody knew. Everybody knew. I was calling up people who aren't even Facebook friends with me and telling them, Because part of the enjoyment of a thing is not holding it in, not keeping it a secret. Um, That's what we're talking about. So we've got an assignment. Um, It's very simple. So we're going to take the next step. What What I want to encourage each and every one of you to do is to take a card, take your bulletin, take whatever you want. I'd like you to write three names, three names of people that you know and love, you care about, that are in your in your circles that live in Gunnison or go to Western, who you know are far from Jesus Christ for whatever reason. Just write it down. It's most of the people, it's most of the people, unfortunately, got a lot to pick from. So write that down. Now with these three names, every day this week, I'd ask you, I'd plead with you to do Three things, actually two things every day. And then the third is our goal. The first thing is to pray for them, okay? Um, 
just lift them up. Say, God, um, this, is, um, this is my friend Tim. Um, he doesn't know you. Um, he's far from you, uh, and hypothetically. I would ask you, please, God, uh, I'd ask you to open his heart, open his eyes, open his mind, and reveal yourself. Pour out your Holy Spirit on Tim and give him a spiritual hunger. Okay, prepare him. Then, the second one is pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. Lord, give me a greater love for you and a greater love for Tim and and, and these people. Give me that, that the natural overflow of that is me sharing you with him. Give me that. And the third, and this this I'm going to ask you to do, is commit and pray about inviting these three people to come with you to our Easter service. Come with you to our Easter service. Here's the good news. People are more likely to say yes to an invitation to go to church on Easter than any other day of the year. And even if they say no, you haven't failed because Jesus is in charge of the results. Let me tell you why I'm so excited because God has his hand on this church because he's chosen to, because he's lifted up and exalted here. Not that he's not other, I'm just saying he gets all the credit, but people come here, hear the gospel, respond and are saved, lots of them. And the people who come at Easter will be no exception. So if we're serious about this, here's, here's an easy step-by-step way we can do it. I'm not saying don't share Jesus with them. I'm just saying if, you, if you're not there yet, you can at least invite them to come with you and provide it with prayer, cover it with prayer. What are they going to know? If they come with you, they're going to know that God's love for them is indescribable. And they're going to understand the gospel and they'll have a chance to respond to it. I'm excited about Easter. On Easter, we are launching a four-week series called Rolling Stone. Called Rolling Stone. And what we're going to be talking about is with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and his life, that he, he has now defeated death, hell, and the grave. He rolled the stone away to usher us into a life without limits in him. And that he is still in the business of rolling immovable stones away from our hearts, away from our lives, away from our existence. And we're going to be talking about how he wants to do that with fear and worry and anger and, 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 and unforgiveness and bitterness. And all of these areas where he wants to do what otherwise could not be done. It's called rolling stone. And if you bring them at Easter, they'll have a chance Not to go from being somebody who hates church to going every week, but saying, yeah, I could could ride this out for four weeks and and see what else there is for God to do in my life. I could could do that. It's, It's the plan. You're being invited into it. I read a 20-minute story to the 9 o'clock people. I know they freak you out when they came out as you were coming in. I'm not going to do that to you. I will tell you, quick summary, that William Booth, and I'll post this on the website, so if you want to read the whole thing, you can. It'll be with the message. Um, 
General William Booth founded the Salvation Army in 1865 in England. And his passion was not to stand out in front of the Walmart with a red bucket with the, with the bell of guilt, right? His passion was for people who were far from Christ and their souls, their hearts. That was his passion. And he particularly went after the people that the church ignored or marginalized. And he wrote a vision that he had. He saw a stormy, dark sea with huge waves. And he saw within the sea many, many people who were bobbing up and down, doing all that they could just to get another breath. And some were going down and swallowing water and coming back up and coughing. And some were going down and never coming up again. But he was so overjoyed when he saw a rock start to come out of the sea and reach even above the clouds and the sun shone on the rock. And some of the people who were drowning were climbing up. There was this platform around the rock and they were climbing up on the platform. And once they were up on the platform, they would devise these ways with ladders and, and ropes and pulleys, to, whatever they could to, to get other people who were just like them to come out onto the platform, to come onto the rock and and. Some people weren't like that, though. Some people wanted to just explore the rock or plant, plant flowers on the rock. Or, and then they got involved in, in it's so encompassed in their, in their hobbies and their jobs and, and their families and all their concerns that life on the rock was, was what it was about. But there was a group of people who, who made it their business to keep their hearts and to keep their bodies on the edge of the platform when the waves were lapping up and, and they would reach out in any way. And, and some of them were so bold as to get in the dangerous water to, to just do lifeguard techniques to bring these people that they knew and they could hear um, and love back onto the platform. And others would keep their machinery and their and their lives and the soundtrack of whatever they're doing to drown out their screams. And lo and behold, a great being, Jesus Christ, was seen in the Spirit, not on the rock, but in the midst of the dangerous waters, doing all that he could to wrap his arms around as many as he could to bring them onto the platform. And calling to all on the platform, some who heard and some who were indifferent, until he was hoarse, come to me, come to me. You who have been rescued, help me rescue. And some of the people on the rock were crying out, come to me, come to me. Make me feel more comfortable here on this rock. Work out these questions that I have about life on the rock. Bless me on the rock. And he all the time is saying, you who have been rescued, come. I'm not finished. Help me rescue. What would you do? That's the question before us. There are more people who are far from Jesus, who are willing to talk about Jesus, then there are people who follow Jesus that are willing to talk about him. Did you track with me? I'm going to give it to you again. There are more people who are far from Jesus who are willing to talk about Jesus than there are followers of Jesus who are willing to talk about him.
I'm deeply, deeply convicted, but very, very hopeful. 